All right. Should have some notes in the front or the back if you need some notes. This is week 10 in our series, Wednesday night series called The Truth. What do you need to know, believe, share, and defend? So we're talking about things that we need to be able to comprehend with our mind, things that we need to believe in our heart, things that we need to be willing to open our mouth and share, and things that we need to be willing to stand up for and defend when God gives us opportunity. And within a a bigger series that we're doing right here on Wednesday nights, uh, this is kind of like week three of a little three-part, like mini-series within it, where we're talking about worldview. And so the first week, two weeks back, we just talked about what what is worldview? What is the idea of a worldview? It's like the lenses you look through to see the world and understand reality and make sense of life. And so we talked about worldview. Then last week, the second week, we talked about what is our worldview. We called it the evangelical Christian worldview for sort of lack of a better term. What is the evangelical worldview? And so we tried to define that last week and looked at scriptures and answered these worldview questions that we've been talking about. And tonight, uh, really, it goes with all that we've talked about, and we're going to talk about uh, a mainline Protestant worldview and a Catholic worldview. And I want to just say up front why we're talking about these two in particular. Because when I first started planning this series, um, I thought, okay, we need to spend one night on defining worldview and talking about that. That's a whole night's worth of stuff. And then we need to talk one night about specifically how do we answer these questions? How do we make sense of these questions? That's one night worth of stuff. And then a great thing to do when you're studying worldview is to do sort of like a comparative analysis. To look at other worldviews and compare them to yours. And it helps you understand yours better and it helps you understand how other people think. You understand the glasses or the goggles that other people are looking through. So my initial thought was, well... Let's pick something drastically, drastically different than our worldview. Let's talk about the Hindu worldview, or let's talk about the Muslim worldview, or let's talk about the Buddhist worldview, or something like that. And so I kind of started making plans to do that. And then I really got to thinking about it, and I said, most of us in Odessa, Texas, don't interact with a whole lot of folks who think that way. We don't interact with a whole lot of people who are wearing the Buddhist worldview glasses as they look at reality. So is it good information to know and to understand? It is, but it's not quite as hands-on practical as where you and I live. And so this is, is way more applicable. And I know people, and you know people, and I have family, and you probably have family that would fall into one of these two categories that we're going to talk about tonight. And the point... Please hear me right now. This is really, really important, okay? The point in talking about these two approaches to worldview is not to pick a fight with anybody. It's not to denigrate anybody. It's not to run anybody into the ground. It's not to try to say we're the best, you're the worst, anything like that. It's not to be ugly or hateful. It's just to think clearly, okay? to try to think clearly about what it is that we actually believe and what it is that the people around us actually believe so that when we talk to folks and we interact with folks, we can do it in a significant way, in a productive way, where on the one hand, we don't want to be the kind of people who just say, well, you know, they say they love Jesus, so I love Jesus, they love Jesus, I'm good with that. Okay? When you start to think on a worldview level and you talk about some of these things we're going to talk about tonight, you realize we're both talking about Jesus, but really underneath that, we're building on completely different foundations, very, very different foundations. So we don't just want to pretend like you know it's all the same, it's all Jesus, it's just minor differences. On the other hand, we don't want to be people who just argue and bicker about silly sort of peripheral, non-important issues. And there's plenty of those that with your friends and your family and my friends and my family, you can waste your time, spend your time bickering about those things when really if you want to talk to somebody, you need to focus on these core issues. So I'm going to start with the conclusion tonight, okay? So I want you to take your notes and turn to the back, go all the way to the bottom. We're going to start with the conclusion. The application comes first, And I'm hopeful that this will help you know where I'm trying to go with what I share with you. Okay, so application first. Four thoughts. 
Number one, the suggestion that it doesn't matter what kind of church you attend is ridiculous. I don't mean that to be ugly. I don't mean that to be in your face or hateful. I just mean it to be honest. And I hear people say that to me a lot, okay? Sometimes it's uh, parents talking about their kids, or sometimes it's kids talking about their parents, or sometimes it's people talking about a friend, and they say something like, look, you don't have to go to a Baptist church. I don't care what kind of church you go to as long as you go to church. The most important thing is that you just go to church. It doesn't matter where you go. To which I'm going to say in a minute, I'm going to give you some examples up here. It really does matter where you go. doesn't have to be here, but it really does matter where you go. And you can go down the road to one place and hear essentially the same thing. And you can go down the road to another place, even right here in the Bible Belt, and hear something completely different on a worldview level. They're still going to talk about Jesus. right? They're still going to carry Bibles in the building. But you're going to hear something drastically, drastically different. And so I want to just be rid of this notion where we say, well, it doesn't matter what kind of church you go to as long as you go to church. That's all that matters is that you go. You go to church. You find a church. Well, it does matter where you go to church, okay? Because the differences that we're talking about are really significant. Uh, Second thought of application. We've been talking about a philosopher named James Sire. And I just want you to see you can use his eight worldview questions to analyze any denomination, and by that I'm talking about like a branch of quote-unquote Christianity, or any other religion, different religion, okay? This stuff that Sire gives you, these eight worldview questions, and we'll review them in a minute, they're not only helpful for saying what's the difference between a Christian and a Buddhist, they're also very helpful for saying what's the difference between this type of Christian and this type of Christian and this type of Christian, And sometimes we just gloss over those differences, but when you think about it on a worldview level, they're pretty significant differences in in some places. Third, application. When you're talking with people who have a different worldview, don't argue about minutia. You don't just want to argue about the little silly stuff. It just is not going to get anywhere. You're just talking totally past each other. Um, I'll give you an example, okay? We're going to talk about mainline Protestant churches tonight. A lot of those churches are going to be very liturgical in how they worship, right? We are of the low church tradition, and so we kind of just, yeah, we have a a kind of a set order of how we do things on Sunday mornings because you're kind of used to it, right? We sing a little, then we shake hands, and we sing a little, then there's a sermon, then we sing a little, and then we go home. You kind of know that's how we do it. But in a liturgical setting... It's way more structured, right? There's different pieces that fall at different points. You don't need to argue about that. It's a preference issue. You like it. You don't like it. You think it's helpful. You don't think it's helpful. It's not not helpful for you to argue about it with somebody who comes from that tradition uh, or from that sort of background. You're just not talking about key issues. So we don't want to argue about just minutiae, little detail things. And then lastly, I hope you understand, and what I'm sharing with you tonight, you want to continually point people to the unchanging truth of the Bible, okay? When we start to recognize between what we believe, a difference with what another quote-unquote Christian believes, when you see those differences, the best thing you can do is not give them some long argument or beat them over the head with your logic or say, well, my pastor said this the best thing you can do is just point them back to the Bible, right? We believe the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division between bone and marrow. It it cuts to the heart. And so the point in, in talking about these differences we're going to point out tonight is not to argue, but the point is to make sure we're grounded in the Scriptures and we're pointing people to the truth of Scripture, okay? So I just want you to think about a couple of different churches. These are real churches, okay? And I'm going to put pictures up on the screen. I'm not going to tell you the names of all these churches, but they're all real, and I've been uh, to almost all of these, okay? This first church that I'm going to put up is a fundamentalist Baptist church in Oklahoma, okay? Fundamentalist Baptist. 
one of the most important things that's going to be communicated to you when you go to this church is that the only, I mean the only version of the Bible that you are allowed to use is the King James Version. That is core and central and really important to the guys who go to this church, okay? I mean, it's deep in their bones. Another thing that's really deep in their bones is that women should not wear uh, pants. Women should wear dresses, should only wear dresses. And I know somebody who went to this church, the one up on the screen. This is a real story. She went to this church with some family members, and she went in her blue jeans. And by the time she got home from church, there was a note on her door explaining why she was not welcome back in her blue jeans. And I'm not saying that to run this church down, okay? I'm not. I'm just telling you, that's, that's how important it is to them. It is central to where they're at. You don't think it matters what kind of church you go to? Well, just go to any church, any old church, okay? You're going to find some unique things at this church. Here's the next one I'll put up. I used to drive by this church every day when I lived in Kentucky. We lived, if you're looking at that picture, we lived left of this church, and the church I pastored was right of this church, so I would drive by it every day. And one day, it snowed, and our parking lot, to get to our church, you had to go down this massive hill, and then our parking lot was down another massive hill, so we canceled church, but it's pretty flat going to this church, so I went to their church one Sunday morning because we didn't have church. And this is a Christian church. There's a lot of these kind of churches in the Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee area, and this church, they believe in baptismal regeneration, meaning... If you want to be born again, you must be baptized in their church or in a church like theirs. You must do it. And until you do it, you're not born again. You're not a believer. You don't have spiritual life. You're not part of God's kingdom until you are actually baptized. The act of doing it is that important. And at this church, they are not going to have any instruments. None. Zero. They're going to sing. They're going to sing a lot of the same songs we sing. They're going to sing with microphones. They're going to sing with words projected up on the wall. But they're not going to sing with instruments. And that's going to be very, very central to who they are. Okay, Very different than the first church I put up there. Next church. This is a church in Amarillo. And I have been to this church uh, for... A healing service is a very, very charismatic church, very open about that, very proud about that, uh, encourages all of their members that they ought to speak in tongues, not just that they allow it, but that you ought to. If you don't, there may be something wrong with your relationship with Jesus. It's very, very important. You ought to do this. And... Um, the service that I attended was a midweek service, and it was like a healing service. And I don't say this to make fun of it or laugh of it, just to give you the idea. It was, it was the kind of stuff you t see on TV, right? You know, like with the evangelists and the wild kind of crazy stuff. To us as Baptists, it's wild crazy. To them, it's not. They wouldn't like that word. It's just church. But to us, it seems kind of wild and crazy, and it was every bit of that. So do you see? doesn't matter what kind of church you go to as long as you go to church. Well, if you go to this first one, you're going to hear some one set of things. And then if you go to this next one, you're going to sort of hear another set of things. And if you go to this one, you're going to hear totally another set of things. Here's another example. This one is in, uh, also in Amarillo. And I used to live basically where the camera's at on this. This is Google Street View. But I used to live, Brooke and I lived right across the street from this church. Uh, it's an Episcopal church. And... Um, so it's connected with the Church of England. And when the Episcopal Church moved to ordain homosexuals, this was one of the first churches in Texas to give it the two thumbs up. We're all in on that, absolutely, 100%. Didn't have any issues with that. And uh, so again, that's going to be way different than the first church I showed you, right? <laughs> Where it's King James only and you can't wear jeans to church. I mean, way different. And so I hope you're rethinking this idea of, oh, it doesn't matter what kind of church you go to, as long as you go to church. 
church that talks about Jesus. That's what I care about. Well, they talk about Jesus at this church, in case you're wondering. You know, they have Bibles there. So, here's the next one. This one's in Odessa. You recognize that one? Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right down the road from us. Okay, if you go to this church, they're going to say they're a church. They're going to say that they're Christians. They're going to say one of the first things, if you question that, they're going to say Jesus is in the name of our church. Of course we love Jesus. We're all about Jesus. We put him in the name of the church. That's how much we like him. You went with Baptist. We went with Jesus. What do you think about that? And you're going to go, and you're going to discover when you get in there that not only do they have Bibles for Scripture, but they have three other books. Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price. And they're going to lean on those books just as much as they do the Bible. That's going to be way different than us. Here's another church. This is downtown Louisville, Kentucky. And I had a a school assignment one time in Brooklyn. I went to this. This is the second oldest cathedral in the United States. It's in downtown Louisville. That's the best picture I could get where you can kind of see it through the trees there. Uh, Cathedral of the Assumption. Beautiful church inside. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And when we went to an evening mass in this church to attend and to observe, um, it was was so strange to me because I'm sitting in a Catholic church and the official position of the Catholic church is that they do not recognize homosexual marriage as legitimate. But sitting in this church, the priest got up and he gave his homily and it was 25 minutes of we here at this church will accept gay marriage as perfectly okay and legitimate. And, of course, there's some other differences, and, and we're going to talk about some of those at, a, at the Catholic Church. So I'm, I'm showing you all these churches, okay? We're done with the idea where we say, oh, it doesn't matter what kind of church you go to. It really does matter what kind of church you go to. And I didn't even, I thought about trying to find a picture for this, but I, I didn't put one up, so I'll just show you a blank slide for this one, okay? What if I just showed you the typical Bible Belt, non-church-going, quote-unquote, Christian who says, like I thought about putting the golf course up here. Like, well, I go golfing every Sunday morning, and I, I talk to Jesus on the ninth hole. About ninth hole, I'm making the turn, and me and Jesus, we kind of meet up. I go fishing. I like to go fishing. And so it's just, you know, it's just as good. I'm going fishing every Sunday. I'm going out hunting every Sunday. And I'm not telling you you can't golf or fish or hunt. You know I'm not saying that. But you know the, the person that says, it just doesn't matter if you go to church. Then they look at you and they say, God's not contained by a building, is he? You don't think you can only worship in a, him in a building, do you? You don't think you have to be there to worship God, do you? So there you go. See, I don't have to go. It's no big deal. I can just sort of do my own thing and whatever. That's a different view, right, of being a Christian. So there's lots of differences here. And the two that we're going to talk about tonight, last week we talked about evangelical. We're going to talk about mainline Protestant and then a Catholic view. Um, I picked these because you know people that go to these churches just like I do. You have friends and family members who go there. And I want us to be equipped to talk with these people. Here's the last disclaimer I'm going to give you before we jump in, okay? Just to sort of, I want to be fair tonight as much as I can and it's hard to be fair when you're an outsider to something right it's hard for non-baptists to be fair to baptists it's hard for me to be fair to catholics or to these mainline protestants when I talk about this stuff tonight I realize that saying all mainline protestants believe this is silly right to just lump them all together or to say all Catholics believe this. No, they don't. Okay? We're being very broad and very general. And we realize the same thing is true of us, right? When you look around this room on a Sunday morning, if we really pinned people up to the wall and said, all right, we're going to go through our doctrinal checklist and see how Baptist you are, we would kind of be all over the map on some stuff. And you've been in a Baptist church very long. You know that if you get three of us together, you got about six opinions in one room, right? So when I say 
This is what all Catholics believe, or this is what all mainline Protestants believe. I know that's unfair, and we're just sort of being broad in general, and that's just the way it is. So here we go. Here's our eight worldview questions, just to refresh your memory. Okay, these come from James Sire. What is prime reality? What is really real, the ultimate thing? We would say God, and then we would define that. What is the nature of external reality? This and the dirt and the trees and the stars. And we would say God made them out of nothing, and they're really there. We can touch them and use them and learn about them, and it's, you know, it's really there. What is a human being? We would say human beings are the one thing that God made in his own image, special and unique from everything else, and also affected by sin in a very, very serious way. And that shapes our worldview, image of God and the idea of sin. What happens to a person at death? We would say man is destined to die once and then face judgment. That would be our basic answer to that. Okay? How is it possible to know anything? Uh, we're going to talk about this in a minute and I'll throw some scriptures at you. We would say, well, God gave us brains. We can learn things, you know, like apples fall from trees. We can observe that and learn it. And then he also revealed himself to us in scripture. And we can learn ultimate true things about spiritual matters from the scriptures. How do we know what's right and wrong? We would say, well, that's based on who God is. It's not based on what we think or what we feel. It's based on God's character. And so God doesn't change. And so those right and wrong things, they are what they are. Uh, What is the meaning of history? We would say, it had a beginning, we're in the middle, and it's moving to the end when Jesus comes back, and then there will be an eternity. That's our sort of view of the big picture of history. What personal life-orienting core commitments are consistent with this worldview? We would say something to the effect of to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to worship God, to love your neighbor, to make disciples. That's, that's what we ought to be committed to, okay? So we're going to look at first. Catholicism, Catholic Christianity, and uh, we're going to ask just a couple of these questions, not all eight, just a couple so you get the feel for this, and the first one we're going to ask is really important, sets us apart, it's very different. Why is it possible to know anything at all? How can we know things? And before I give you the, the Catholic answer, or sort of part of the Catholic answer, I'll just remind you. We would say, if you want to jot some of these down, you can. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. We look up at the skies and we know that there's a creator, right? Romans 1. From the things that he created, Paul says, his invisible attributes are seen. His eternal power. You look at the things that he made and you ought to be able to know you're without excuse, Paul says, that there is a God and that he is extremely powerful. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says God has put eternity in man's heart meaning people instinctively know there's something else other than this there's got to be something else out there there's got to be something else after death the Bible says that's been set into our hearts Romans 2 talks about God gave people a conscience we have a conscience and sin sort of mars our conscience and makes it sort of muddy and cloudy sometimes but we sort of have this instinctive understanding that some things are right and some things are wrong so we can know some things from you know creation and all of all of that and then we would say we can know ultimate things from the bible right and we would say we believe that it's true it's inspired by god it's breathed out by god it's perfect it's inerrant That's how we can know things. This would be the Catholic answer, okay? And again, we're just being very general. Don't throw anything at me, but this would be the answer uh, for Catholicism. One would be that we know things uh, from nature. And the second would be we can know ultimate things from Scripture and church tradition. So it's kind of close to ours, right? I mean, we think you can know things from nature. We agree with that. I don't have any problem with that. We think you can know things from Scripture. And let's just be real honest. 
we think you can learn things from other Christians, right? Ones who have come before you. That's why we have Christian bookstores. We sell books, right? And you read them and you try to learn from them and come to a better understanding of who God is. But you see the difference in this, right? Because for the evangelical Christian, we're going to say, yeah, you can learn some things from tradition, but Scripture has precedence over tradition. We're going to lean on what the Bible says and judge everybody else by what the Bible says. We're not just going to take something as true because they say it's always been true, we've always taught this, we've always believed this. And that's just a difference in the Catholic community. The role of the Pope and the role of the church, they just have this idea of some things we can tell you are true because we're telling you they're true. The church fathers say it is. Or this Pope said it was. And so... That's what we're going with. It's true. You understand, at that very basic level, on a worldview level, you've gone in two different directions, right? And in one direction, you're going to be bound ultimately to what the Scripture says. And in the other, you're going to have room to move outside of the Scriptures and the things that you believe to be true. Okay? You've, from our perspective, we'd say you've opened up sort of a big can of worms, once you get off Scripture alone, that can take you down a lot of roads you don't need to go down. And so that's why the Reformers, Protestant Reformers, when they're pushing back against the Catholic Church, one of the things that they, they talked a lot about was sola scriptura, the authority of Scripture alone to judge what we believe about ultimate things. So that's a difference. That's a worldview difference. Okay? Here's another difference. Think about this question, what happens to a person at death? Let me just tell you, you can jot some of these down for what we would say. We would say, uh, you die once and you face judgment. That's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Man is destined to die once and face judgment. We would say that your eternity is based on your relationship with Jesus. Right? So in John 3, we all know John three sixteen. God so loved the world he gave his only son, Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3 goes on to say, whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. So that's the difference. You have life or you're condemned based on receiving this gift. And we would add to that, you could jot down Ephesians 2 and Acts chapter 4. We would say salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? It is only by God's grace, not anything that we do. And it's by, it comes to us through our faith, not through our works, not through our money, not through our giving. And it comes only through Christ. Acts, Acts 4.2 says there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we can be saved. So we would say that's what happens to a person at death, right? You die, you face judgment, your eternity's based on your relationship with Jesus, and it's got to be grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Here would be the Catholic answer, okay? Your eternity is based on your relationship with Jesus. They agree with that. They would say grace is received and experienced through the sacraments. That's a difference from us. We say it's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And the Catholic idea is you receive God's grace through the sacraments. There's an idea that some will spend time in purgatory. Uh, literally talks about a place of purification where if you end up in this place you're, you just weren't sort of quite ready to be in God's presence and so you're going to need to go and there's a purification that's going to take place and depending on the tradition if you go back to the sort of the Dante's Inferno picture of it it's not going to be a great place at all but you're going to sort of be purified and work that out and then you'll be able to be with the Lord. So there's this idea of purgatory as kind of an in-between place. And then there's an idea, even in the Catholic tradition, that some will be counted as true Catholics who never heard about Jesus. And this comes in recent years from a, a meeting and a, a proclamation. You may have heard of it. You can Google it called Vatican II. And basically this opens the door for an inclusive idea of salvation, meaning some people at the end are going to find themselves in heaven and they never knew anything about Jesus. You know, they were good folks and Jesus died for them. That would be the Catholic teaching. He died for them. They just never knew anything about it. And 
they're still going to end up in heaven. It's going to work out in their favor. And you say, what? Well, that, that, we don't believe that. And if you're thinking scriptures, you're thinking, where would I go? You say, well, what about like Romans 10? Somebody's got to go and somebody's got to preach so they can hear. And when they hear, they can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And if that doesn't happen, if that process breaks down, then those people are not going to be saved. But you're thinking like a Protestant. Scripture alone. And in the Catholic tradition, they sort of say, yeah, the Scriptures are important. We believe the Scriptures, but we also believe Vatican II. This is what the church told us. This is what the church says. So we hold those two things together. And so they end up going down a different road on this worldview issue, okay? One more question about Catholicism. What personal life-orienting core commitments are consistent with this worldview? Um, Our answer would be, you know, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, and you make disciples. And a common idea for... A Catholic response, what should you do in response to all these things, is say you really need to participate in the sacraments. Baptism, Eucharist, confirmation, reconciliation. Sometimes we call that confession. Anointing the sick, marriage, and holy orders. And there's this Catholic idea of ex opere operare and operata. Operato, my Latin's lousy. Ex opere operato. And it basically means literally... Because of the work worked. And it's this idea that you participate in the sacraments. And in the participation of the sacraments, in doing this work, grace is communicated to you and it's effective. And it would be great if you really meant it and if you were very genuine in it. But there's still value in just doing it. You say, but yeah... Kind of your heart has to be in it. And you're saying that as a Protestant because you believe salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Your heart, you're trusting in Christ alone, and that's where you receive it. And the Catholic idea is just different than that. The idea, if you listen to the church, is through the sacraments you receive these graces, the grace of God. So you realize we're talking about different ways of salvation here. When you get down very basically to a worldview level. We're both talking about Jesus. We're both talking about heaven. We're both talking about salvation. We're both talking about God's grace. But because we've gone in different ways on how we can know things to be true, we end up in very different places. Okay, what about mainline Protestant Christianity? Let me give you a a negative definition of what that would include. Not evangelicals, not fundamentalists, and not charismatics. That's the sort of big bucket of people we're talking about. Christians who are not evangelical, not fundamentalist, not charismatic, and by definition they're Protestant so they're not Catholic. Okay? If you're just dying for a label or a denomination to put on it, this would include some Presbyterian denominations some Lutheran denominations, some Methodist denominations, some Episcopalian denominations, some Christian denominations, okay? And I've thrown all those terms out there, all those labels. Within each of those groups, there's been sort of reform movements lately, churches that you could go to with those labels, Presbyterian and Episcopalian and Methodist and all of it, where their beliefs and their worldview would be essentially exactly like ours, we went uh, on vacation to San Antonio this summer, and we went to my friend's church. He's a pastor, and he pastors a Presbyterian church. And his church would listen to the things I'm about to say and say, no way. That's crazy. Absolutely not. But that's one sliver of Presbyterianism. And in our society, a big, huge sliver of it would fall under this umbrella. And the same is true for these other ones. Okay, so... We'll just go through some of these questions quickly. Why is it possible to know anything at all? Here's some of the things that you would hear in a mainline Protestant church. We can know some things from the scriptures which are trustworthy in matters of faith and practice. And then they would say we can know true things from human reason and culture. may not say it exactly like that, but that would be what they are, are communicating. Okay, so in that first phrase, that first one, 
you look at that and you say, we can know some things from the scriptures that are trustworthy in matters of faith and practice. And you say, well, that sounds pretty good to me. I mean, faith and practice, that kind of sums it all up, right? What you've got to understand, when you look at the history of ideas in this, in this movement, that's basically code word for we do believe there's some mistakes in the Bible. They would say, on the key things, faith and practice, yeah, you can trust the Bible. But that phrase, in the way the debate progressed, sort of gives them some wiggle room to say, yeah, it's trustworthy, Bible's trustworthy, Bible's true, but there's some mistakes in there. And there's some stuff in there that's kind of out of date in 2016 that we kind of need to bring up to the present. And that's where they would come in and say, we can know some true things from human reason and culture. We can just look at society around us and we can use our brains and we can figure out some true right things. And I'll give you two examples of, uh, of how this often plays out. One would be in an uncritical acceptance of evolution. Okay, And I'm not telling you that if you believe in some form of evolution, you're a heretic, crazy, we're kicking you out of here. But I'm talking in an uncritical acceptance of evolution as a theory and everything that goes with it. Okay, They just buy into it, not because they see it in Scripture, but because they say, we know this is true. It doesn't matter what the Bible says at all. Human reason is telling us this is the way it is, and it's just an uncritical acceptance of it. The most recent example of this would be homosexual marriage. No church sat down one day and said, you know, we've been reading the Bible and we think we've got it wrong all these 2,000 years. That wasn't the way they came to their conclusions. The way they came to their conclusions is they said, look, in our society, modern day society, 2016, we've sort of gotten beyond some of these old, ancient, antiquated ideas and we just kind of need to get into the modern world a little bit and get over some of this crazy stuff that they were so concerned about in Bible days. And we know it's not that big a deal. We know it's just how people are and we need to be accepting of that and and not judgmental about it. Then they go back to the scriptures and sort of try to wiggle in somewhere. Okay, And so you have churches. I know this is almost so common today, but you have churches condoning homosexuality is no big deal you have churches ordaining openly practicing homosexual ministers pastors females males doesn't matter they're perfectly fine with that and that's so widespread today we almost take it for granted but I reminded a friend today in a a text conversation I said it wasn't just about nine years ago that a guy named Barack Obama was running for president of the United States and he sat in a Baptist church in California and did a debate and said he was not for homosexual marriage. He was not in favor of that. And everyone kind of nodded like, obviously, yes. And now today when you say that, just eight years, eight years. Today you say that and you're a crazy person. And the progression of that was not people saying, well, we think we've misread the Bible and this is what it says. The progression of that was this second. How do we know things? Many times in a mainline Protestant form of Christianity, they're going to allow human reason and culture to trump what the Bible says, to take precedence over what the Bible says. Worldview differences, okay? A few more things. What's a human being? Their answer. They're not going to emphasize anything about depravity, meaning they're not going to suggest to you that you have some sort of sin problem that is inherent to who you are when you're born. They're not going to, that's not going to be an emphasis in this tradition. You'll see I'm borrowing from the social sciences to say that many of our problems are external, Right? We understand the idea of sin says the biggest problem we have is us. It's our own heart. It's our own sin. It's our guilt before God. And they're going to say, no, your problems are not internal to who you are. They're external to who you are. They're out there somewhere. And many times they're going to try to fix those problems through things like education and economic equality. And the idea is, it's not that there's anything wrong with you. It's not that you've done anything offensive to God. The problems are out there. And if we can just sort of level this playing field for everybody, all these problems are going to go away. And, 
you know, as Bible-believing folks, we say, you can level the playing field all you want. You know, we don't want people to have terrible disadvantages in life, but you can make it level all you want. Then we just have problems on a level playing field. We're still the problem. It's us. It's not out there. It's in here. This is a difference in worldview, in defining what is a human being. Another worldview question, how do we know what's right and wrong? This should be obvious, how they're going to answer this. They're going to say, yeah, you should listen to the Bible for ethical and moral guidance, of course. These churches, they're not burning Bibles. They're just going to come behind that and say, you also need to consider advances in science and culture and law and technology. And you can add other things to that list, but you get the idea. How do we know what's right and wrong? The Bible is not going to be a final authority. We're going to allow some of these other things to to have sway. Now, for some of you, I'm about to make your brain explode on this next one. Okay? Mainline Protestant churches. You You think, well, okay, all these worldview questions. At least we probably agree on the first one that says what's really real. At least we probably all say there's a God up there, and that's all great. But I'm going to tell you about a guy named... John Shelby Spong. He's a retired bishop in the Episcopal Church, and that's his picture. And this guy wants to redefine Christianity without the traditional trappings of theology. Okay? He wants to redefine Christianity without the traditional trappings of theology. And already you're like, what in the world does that even mean? I'm about to tell you exactly what it means, okay? He wrote a paper called 12 Points for Reform in 1998. And this is while he was a a practicing bishop in the Episcopal Church, okay? And before we read these, I'm just going to tell you, I know that this is an extreme example of worldview differences, okay? I'm not suggesting that all of your friends or family members who go to a mainline Protestant church believe like, Spong. I'm not saying that. I'm just giving you a drastic example so you understand. When you go off track on some of these worldview issues and they seem like minor differences at first, you can end up way on other sides. Okay? So we're just going to read through these and just you can look these up, Google them if you want to see them. Okay? So 12, 12 things, 12 points for reform. He says theism, that's believing in God. Theism is a way of defining God as dead. So most theological God talk today is meaningless. We need to have a new way to speak of God. A new way to speak of God must be found. Okay, next. Since God can no longer be conceived in theistic terms, I don't know what that means, by the way, that God can't be conceived in God terms is what he's saying, but that's what he's saying. It becomes nonsensical to seek to understand Jesus as the incarnation of the theistic deity. So, the Christology of the ages is bankrupt. Okay? Can I put it in poor man's language for a dummy like me? All that stuff you believed about Jesus is dopey. You think he's God incarnate? He's not. You think he's sinless? He's not. All those things you believe about Jesus, all the truth you hold on to about Jesus, you think he died on the cross for your sins, Christology, the doctrine of Christ, it's all bankrupt. It is worth less than nothing. It has no value. We've got to get rid of that stuff. Okay, next. The biblical story of the perfect and finished creation from which human beings fell into sin is pre-Darwinian mythology and... Post-Darwinian nonsense, meaning we are getting rid of Genesis and we're going with Darwin, 100%. No questions asked. We're unhitching the boat here and we're hitching it up here. Okay, next. The virgin birth understood as literal biology makes Christ's divinity as traditionally understood impossible, meaning while we're getting rid of all that Christology, doctrine of Jesus, just forget this idea that he was virgin born because that's ridiculous. Stop it with that already. Cut it out. Next. The miracle stories of the New Testament can no longer be interpreted in a post-Newtonian, okay, we're thinking about Newton, the scientist, as supernatural events performed by an incarnate deity, meaning all the stories in your Bible that involve miracles, 
rip them out. Didn't really happen. Forget it. No miracles. We know there's no such thing as miracles. We live in a scientific age. We're beyond that. Forget the miracle stuff. Look, this guy's a bishop practicing. Like they didn't run him out of town. He is a bishop in the Episcopal Church when he's writing this stuff. Okay, next. View of the cross as the sacrifice for the sins of the world is a barbarian idea based on primitive concepts of God and must be dismissed. Everything you ever believed about Jesus dying on the cross, forget it. Not true. Not right. Not accurate. Erase it. Next. Resurrection. This one, I don't know what this means. I'm just going to read it to you. Resurrection is an action of God who... In a previous point, we said it's no longer helpful to really talk about God, but we're still talking about him, okay? Resurrection is an action of God. Jesus was raised into the meaning of God. It therefore cannot be a physical resuscitation occurring inside human history. What he's really saying is there was not a guy named Jesus who got out of a tomb. That did not happen. So forget that. Next. The story of the ascension assumed a three-tiered universe. That's not true, but he says it's true. And is therefore not capable of being translated into the concept of a post-Copernican space age. Again, you see where he's relying on science to, to overrule scripture. And he's saying, look, we know that the heavens aren't some crazy thing up there. We've been up in the heavens. And the famous Russian cosmonaut who went up there, you know, I went into space and I didn't see God. That's what he's saying. We've been up there and nothing up there, so get rid of that stuff. There's no ascension. Jesus, there's not a guy named Jesus who got out of the grave and then went up to heaven. Did not happen. There's not external objective revealed standard written in scripture or on tablets of stone that will govern our ethical behavior for all time. Meaning, defining right and wrong is totally up for grabs. Totally up for grabs. What, you know, we can pick what it is today, and if tomorrow we don't like it, we can change that. Because there is not anything that's been given to us that is going to govern our behavior now and for all time. It's all debatable. All situational. Prayer cannot be a request made to a theistic deity to act in human history in a particular way. Now he's getting personal with you people who pray. He said, you are really not talking to anybody who's going to do anything about anything now what's crazy is he still prays or says he's praying he just wants you to understand you're not really talking to somebody up there who's going to do anything about anything i forgot what number i'm on do i have any more they uh the hope for life after death must be separated forever from the behavior control mentality of reward and punishment the church must abandon, therefore, its reliance on guilt as a motor, motivator of behavior. Okay, What he's really saying here is, quit talking about sin. Quit telling people they're going go to go to hell because of their sin. That is silly and ridiculous, and we don't need to talk about that. We're redefining Christianity, and sin is not going to be part of it. That is not going to be something you're going to be punished for or judged for. All human beings bear God's image and must be respected for what each person is, what they are. Therefore, no external description of one's being, whether based on race, ethnicity, gender, or sexual orientation, can properly, properly be used as a basis for either rejection or discrimination. And basically, like a lot of modern society, he's throwing in sexual orientation with race and ethnicity and gender as just part of who you are and it's not a big deal, and we need to get over it, okay? So there's his 12 things. And you read those, and you're like, that guy, what in the world? Okay, I'm going back to the application. Are you ready? Application number one, the suggestion that it does not matter what kind of church you attend is ridiculous, okay? It matters. We're not being hateful. We're not trying to be ugly. We're not trying to run anybody to the ground. We're just being honest about what we really believe on these basic worldview issues. And we're saying it does matter what kind of church you attend. Because that's a church that we just talked about with a bishop or a rector or a priest or whoever standing up there telling you that kind of stuff. It matters. 
I want you to think about these worldview questions. Use his questions to analyze denominations, religions. Again, not to be hateful, not to give me or you some sort of superiority complex like we have it all figured out and everybody else is stupid, but just to be honest about what is it that we actually believe in? What is it that these people believe? And we need to be able to recognize serious differences. When you're talking with people who have a different worldview, don't argue about the minutia, right? To go back to my first example, if I'm sitting down with, with Spong, he's an Episcopalian, very liturgical worship, that's not going to be the first thing I bring up with him as a concern, right? That's going to be pretty low on the list if we're talking about serious differences. You're not going to worry about that little stuff. I'm not going to say to him, you know, it's so stupid that you wear a robe when you get up on Sunday morning. I just get up in my blue jeans and boots. I mean, how silly is that you wear that silly robe? That's, that's going to be way, 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 way down low, right? It's minutia. It's little silly stuff. We have big things to talk about. And then lastly, all we can do is point people to the truth of the Scriptures, okay? And believe that God's Word is powerful, that it's living, that it's active. And as we point people back to the Scriptures, as they read it for themselves, that they see truth and that God reveals it to them and that God changes their hearts uh, like He can do. I can't do that. You can't do that. But God can do it. So there you go. Just... A few thoughts, again, on worldview. We have two more weeks coming up, and we're going to talk uh, about some, I think it'll be fun. I think you'll like it. So we're going to have a week off to pack boxes next week. We're going to have a week off for Thanksgiving, and we'll come back. We have two more weeks. So I'm going to pray, and we'll, we'll move on to our last thing for the evening. Father, we love you, and we pray that you would give us wisdom. And we know that we live in a confused time where we live among people who invent evil, we live among people who condone evil, who applaud those who pursue it, and we look around and we see so much confusion, even within churches, even within denominations that were once faithful to the scriptures and faithful to the truth and faithful to you, we see so much confusion. And Father, if we're honest, we look in our own hearts and our own lives and our own church and we see confusion. And we pray that you would make us people who think clearly about the truth. That as we read your word, it would be, it would be powerful in our life. It would pierce our hearts. That we would be convinced and convicted of its truthfulness and its authority over us. Father, we pray that we would be careful to think about what it is we believe and what it is we teach and what it is we will take a stand for and be careful to make sure that it's grounded in your word. Father, we love you and pray uh, for your wisdom and your direction and for understanding. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.